next on Contemplate. Every time, whether it's I, I went from becoming a Christ follower to really dedicating myself to be at church every week, to giving, to serving, to stopping doing this, stopping doing that, starting doing this, starting doing that. All those things that come as you mature in the Lord, every one of those rubs up against the meat. That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. And this is Contemplate. I'm Ron Hagelgans. Thanks for being here as we continue our series, Contentment in Christ. We're in Acts chapter 17, where Paul is on the second missionary journey, and we'll see him share the truth of Christ in three different cities and see three very different responses to the gospel, ones that might look pretty familiar, too. Please get out your Bible as we join Pastor David with today's lesson recorded live at Acts Church. These, this is the people in the synagogue of the Jews in Berea, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. Or that word could also be noble-minded. Okay, It's, it's definitely a compliment to them. Um, the, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. So what do we have here? The people were fair-minded. They were noble-minded. They didn't have a bunch of preconceived stuff. They were, they were really wanting to know the truth. So when Paul comes in, he's got an open form. Go ahead and say what you've got to say. Now, it wasn't just we're going to accept whatever you have to say. They had these things out, and they were going through. Okay, you said that. Uh, you know, okay, that checks out. That's true. It says that. And they went through and they studied. They had an open mind. They wanted to know what was true. And Paul preached the gospel. He preached Jesus Christ. And as they searched the scriptures and studied it, they came to know Jesus. It says, therefore, what, what's the therefore, therefore? It's there to say, because they were fair-minded, because they studied and, and sought out the scriptures, they became Christ followers. Because they did those things. The Bereans are this great example in Scripture of those who are serious, who are seeking after the Lord, who are fair-minded, noble-minded towards it, using their minds, studying the Scriptures, and coming to know the Lord. And this is our job as believers. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. But our job as believers is not to fear ideas. It's not to fear ideas. It's not to fear what other people have to say. It's not to fear science. It's not to fear those who say things negative about Scripture. It's not to fear any of that. It's to hear what people have to say, use our minds, study, see what the Lord is saying, and come to believe the things that are true. That's what we do. That's what we're very serious about. And the Bereans are praised for this. Noble-minded. That's a nice thing to say about somebody. Uh, Paul has no trouble proving the truth of the message of the gospel but he does need people to listen and then study to prove that it's true. He's not looking for them to just take what he says at face value. I'm not looking for you to take what I say at face value. No one in this church in leadership who's doing any teaching is looking for you to take it at face value. We expect you to use your minds to discern, to study, to think about it, to make sure that it's true. You know, My job is to preach the word. Your job is to learn the word, and your mind is just as important as my mind in that process. And the Bereans showed that. Let's look at what happens next. You can probably guess. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. 
Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. All right. So the people, the Jews in Thessalonica who had been envious, who had gotten worked up, now find out that Paul's there. And instead of just leaving well enough alone saying he left Thessalonica, they're like, no, we're going to go get him out of there too. So they come down causing a ruckus. Let's get a mob together. Let's get these guys out of here too. They're successful, and Paul has to bolt once again. He's got to be wise, right? You don't sit there and cause more trouble for the Christians in this church that just got started. If you're the source of contention, you've got to go. So he went, and he took off, and he goes to Athens. He leaves Silas and Timothy there. All right, so let's take a look at our map again because now we're going to Athens. And if you follow it, uh, we came down from Berea now. He goes out and comes. You can see how he gets to Athens. You've probably heard of Athens before. This is a major, major Greek city. Athens is the seat of Hellenistic or Greek life. And yes, it was now under Roman rule, but it was still very, very prominent. In fact, very, very prominent to this day. The architecture, the, even, even the idols. Okay, Athens was known for, for this idol worship. And they're also known to be philosophers. They're very smart. They're very smart. They're thinkers. And they love to talk and talk and talk and talk. Okay, I don't know anybody like that. Um, but don't laugh so much. All right. So let's, let's walk through this time with Paul at Athens. Verse 16. It says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens... His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Paul is just not one to just like wait, right? He's like, come, come with haste, Timothy, Silas. We're, on this th- we're in this thing together. Come, come, come to me. Come on, let's go. And he gets to Athens and it's like, ah, I'm just going to start, right? He, just, he wants to get going because his spirit's provoked. He's sad. He's sad that these people, it's not just the idol worship, right? It's the fact that it's death. That's a lack of truth. That they're following after things that aren't going to lead to anything good for them. That he knows about the life in Christ. Paul's not just doing this because he has to do it. This is not a Sunday school project for Paul. Paul is out preaching the word of God because it is so powerful in him. And his desire to see people come to know Jesus Christ is just overflowing. This isn't something he does because he has to do it. This is something he does because he can't stop himself from doing it. He wants to preach the gospel. And so he sees that these guys are... Worshiping these idols, his, his, his spirit is provoked in him. It says, therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So this is normal, right? Paul goes to synagogue. He's reasoning with the Jews. He's reasoning with the Gentiles. He's even going just into the marketplace where everybody's hanging out and he's having conversations. Maybe he's doing a little street preaching. I don't know exactly what's going on. But he's sitting there. He's reasoning with these people. He's talking to them about Jesus. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. 
So he's probably in the marketplace. He's talking about Jesus. A couple of these Epicurean Stoic philosophers. These were major philosophies of the day, somewhat misunderstood in popular culture, but they were, they were a couple of the big philosophies that were going on at the time. Okay, they're hearing Paul talk, and they're like, oh, hey, it's something new. He's saying something new. He's saying something different. Let's, let's bring him to the Areopagus. Let's hear what this guy's got to say. So he goes. So he heads over there. These people are just, uh, they just love to just talk. If you read uh, ancient Greek philosophy, Socrates and so on, you'll hear about some of these people that Socrates would talk about who were sort of like this. They sort of argued for the sake of arguing. They sort of talked for the sake of talking. And then there wasn't necessarily a lot of good in it. But they felt good about it. They felt smart. They felt good about themselves. So, so here goes Paul, and they say, let's hear some new thing. Well, you tell Paul to preach, Paul going to preach, right? So here he goes. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Okay, so what does he start with? When he goes to the synagogue, what does he start with? He starts with the Scriptures. Because why? Because they know the scriptures. Now he's in Athens among all these Greeks. They don't know anything about the scriptures. So he can't say, listen, in Isaiah 52, they're going to be like, who's Isaiah? They don't know who that is. They don't know anything about the scriptures. So he cannot use the scripture directly to preach the message of Jesus to these people, or at least he doesn't see it as the way that it's going to work. So he doesn't. So he starts with what they know. And he says, hey, I can see you're very religious. That's for sure. You got idols all over the place. And as I'm walking through, I saw this idol, and, there, and it was just an idol, and it just said, to the unknown God, like, like it was the catch-all. Like, in case we forgot anybody, here's this one. You know, throw a little something to the unknown God, just in case. You know, you don't want it to rain tomorrow, whatever. They were so, they had so many gods for so many things, and gods that represented all these things, and it was just like, just in case we missed one, we're going to put this statue up here so that that God doesn't get upset with us. And he says, I saw that. I saw this to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Now, he's not saying that this was a statue of God, okay, the one true God. He's using it as an entree, as a way to, as a way to connect with them. He's saying, the fact is, is that you admit that you don't know everything. By taking the time, effort, and energy to put this statue up, you're saying we don't know everything about who God is. We don't know everything about what's true concerning God. And so he's saying, since you don't know everything, let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you the truth. He says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far off from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. I want to stop there for a second. Now, I, I told you, Paul is not opening up the scriptures and reading from them, but everything that he's saying is from the scripture. Everything he's saying is true. There's one God. He's the one who made everybody. All of us from one, from Adam and Eve, essentially. That he's the one who's appointed times and places. That he's the one who's sovereign. That he's in control. All these attributes of who God is. And then, to connect with them even more, he quotes a couple of their poets 
which tells you a little something about Paul's education. This guy was educated, super educated, that off the top of his head, he could quote these Greek poets to these guys in a way that made sense, in a way that connected them to the real truth. Obviously, he doesn't think those poets had the real truth. He's saying that these things that they said are actually true if you put that to God. In him we live and move and have our being. In God, that's true. And whatever the poet was talking about, it may not be, but their poet said it, and this is a way to connect to them. So here he is. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by art and man's devising. In other words, all these statues, all these temples, all these things that which were everywhere in Athens, this is not how you worship God. If he's as powerful as I'm saying he is, if he made us, he doesn't need us to make statues to him. This is obviously not the way that you worship a real God, the real God, the only God. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Okay, he's bringing it home now. He's saying, listen, this is all nice. I'm connecting with you, but now what I'm telling you is, now I'm telling you, now you're responsible. God may have overlooked some ignorance here. You grew up in this city. You grew up with all these things, but now, guess what? You asked me to come and bring the truth, and I brought the truth, and now you're responsible for it, and you need to repent. You need to turn away from all this because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. You better repent because there is judgment. If you continue to go after this gold, this, this silver, these idols, these stones, these things that you made, after you've been told the truth, there's a judgment coming for that. There's a judgment coming for that, and you need to repent. Now, how do they react? And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we'll hear you again on this matter. Let's, let's hear some more. Come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. Let's put this off. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed, among them Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. All right. You've got three scenarios. Three cities where Paul is gone. Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. Every one of them had a very different way of connecting to what Paul was preaching. Every one of them. Now, there's descriptive and there's prescriptive. We've talked about this. Descriptive is just saying, this is what happened. Prescriptive is saying, this is how we ought to be. Now, I think it's pretty clear that the way that the, the Jews who did not come to the Lord in Thessalonica acted and the way that the Greeks who did not come to the Lord in Athens acted were clearly descriptive and not prescriptive. Berea, clearly prescriptive. This is the way we should act. In all of these places, people came to know the Lord. The ministry that, that the Lord sent Paul to do was, was effective in all of these places. And in fact, of course, eventually, as you probably know, the whole world there, all of these people, tons and tons and tons of these people came to know the Lord. But at this time, they reacted in different ways. In Thessalonica, Paul upset the apple cart because they liked their traditions. Because when he went into the Jews and spoke to them, while some of them willingly saw that what he was saying was true and followed Christ, others of them said, you know what? I don't think they outreasoned Paul. Let's put it that way. If they had bested him, no one would have come. If somebody would have stood up and been like, no, Scripture says, ba ba ba," then a multitude of people would not have been like, yeah, I'll change. I'll, I'll throw, throw all this and come this direction if they had beat him in the argument. So they didn't beat him in the argument. That didn't happen. But some of them still did not want to come, would not allow themselves to be persuaded. And the reason they didn't want to allow themselves to be persuaded is because they liked the way things were. This is the way we've always done it. 
This is the way we've always done it. We think the Messiah is going to be this thing. I'm not, I'm not letting go of that. It doesn't matter if you show it to me, you reason with me, you show me through the scriptures. I'm not changing my thing because this is the way I've always done it. This is my tradition, and I'm going to stick to it. And it was enough to get them so angry that they got a violent mob together. Now, in Athens, it's a different story. Athens, they're syncretists. When I say syncretists, all I mean is this. There are some religions that you can add anything you want to it. Throw a little of this in, throw a little of that in. Um, Hinduism is like this. You can go and, and talk to at least some Hindus who would say, yep, we worship this God and this God and this God and this God, and we'll just add Jesus to the list. He's just another God. Well, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Jesus is not just another God. He is God. He's the only, there's only one God, right? But these Athenians, they were used to, as, as we discussed, hey, you're very religious. You got gods all over the place. They're syncretistic. All roads lead to heaven. Ever heard that? Does that sound familiar? Always. There can't just be one way. That's arrogant. We're very smart. We're very smart people. We're intellectually very prideful. And so when you come to us, we're going to relativize everything. And when you start saying repent, when you start saying that Jesus rose from the dead to prove that we need to repent because there's going to be a judgment, listen, we're too cool for that. We're too cool. We're too smart for that. And so they rejected it. In one case, the persecution was physical. In one case, it was actually social. We don't hear anything about them wanting to beat Paul up. What did they do? They condescended. It was condescension, right? They ridiculed. Who, what does this babbler want to say? What is this nonsense he's speaking? Some did that, and others said, you know what? Come back tomorrow, or maybe the next day. They put it off. They postponed. There was the condescension and there was the postponing. Now, I don't know for you how it was when the Lord started to work in your life, whether or not you had one of these reactions. Hey, I've always done it this way. I'm going to keep doing it this way. What, I, what I'm doing works or pretty much works or sort of works or probably really doesn't work, but I don't care. Whatever the case was, and I reject it. Or whether you were, I'm too smart for that. I condescend to that. Or whether you were, you know what, wait till tomorrow. Let me just get my 20s done first because that sounds like something I'd like to do without a lot of rules. You know, whatever it was, wherever you were, I think I've probably been in every one of these positions at one time or another. Remember, there were people saved from all these groups and in the future, certainly I'm guessing that some of these people who were condescending or who were trying to attack Paul or whatever did eventually come and be converted to the Lord. So just because somebody reacts this way doesn't mean that we shouldn't continue that we shouldn't be faithful, keep preaching, keep preaching, keep preaching, because they likely, Lord will work, can work, and does work, and brings people like me to him. And so for us, though, there's a couple things. One is this. When the people in your life, when you become a believer and a Christ follower, are usually going to react in one of these ways, one of these three ways. The first way, they're angry. They're envious. If you guys saw the, the movie Case for Christ, um, you see this played out in, in, the, in Lee Strobel. It's, it's a sto true story, probably-ish, right? It's a movie, so. But his wife comes to know the Lord, and what, what you sort of see is Strobel sort of gets envious. Hey, we used to do things. He liked the traditions. He liked the way things were. And then it was like, oh, I'm being replaced by Jesus. I'm being replaced by that. You don't, you don't need me. People want to be needed. We all know this. You don't need me 
anymore because now you've got Jesus. Now you've got your church. Now you've got these things. And they get envious. And they like the traditions and they react in anger or spite or bitterness, something like that. Then there are those who actually are truth-seeking and want to hear. And you tell them about the Lord and they study it and they come to know him. And there are some of you sitting right here because somebody else in this room went to you and said, hey, Jesus has done this in my life. And you're like, all right, let's check it out. And you've been saved and baptized, maybe right here at Acts Church. And that's a great thing. And then there's the other ones. And we see a lot of this because where we live is not that much different than Athens. The intellectual superiority, the, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you believe that. Don't you know that smart people don't believe that? Certainly, some of you have seen that. Now, the fact is, is that all people are smart people. It depends on how much work you want to put into it. I would venture to say, we here put a lot of work into it. A lot of work into it. We don't just believe these things on blind faith. I could go on and on about that and have, but I won't right now. The point is that there will be some who are going to react that way no matter what. They want to have their intellectual pride. That's more important to them. And then you've got the postponers. Yeah, I'll come to church maybe next week. They're not against it. They're not envious. They're not even condescending. They're just postponing. Maybe next week. Maybe the next week. Maybe the next week. That's a, come back tomorrow. We'd like to hear some more about it. Well, we'll hear more about it later. There's going to be all of that. And then there's the way that you need to deal with it. Because the gospel doesn't just come in that time when you come to know the Lord. The Lord continuously teaches you, continuously grows you, continuously matures you. And each time, there's, there's that choice. Me or Jesus? Every time. Whether it's I, I went from becoming a Christ follower to really dedicating myself to be at church every week to giving, to serving, to stopping doing this, stopping doing that, starting doing this, starting doing that. All those things that come as you mature in the Lord, every one of those rubs up against the me. At least it does for me. And every time I have these options, I can say things are going fine the way they are. I like the traditions. This is the way things have always been. Do you know how hard it was for people to move from playing an organ as the only way that church music went? Which, by the way, a great organ is beautiful stuff. But going from that to what Hunter was doing up here today, you think that in 1942 he could have walked into the local Baptist church and been like, no. <laughs> would not have happened. Would not have, ha would not have been okay. In, in fact, it would have, they would have accused it of a spiritual issue. They would have spiritualized the music and said that it was not the way that things should be because they have their traditions. The way they do things, this is the way we've always done it. We have to be careful too because someday, someday, somebody may want to play country music. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I'm kidding for those of you who love country music. Um, the bottom line is, is that whatever the Lord does and however he wants to work, you've got to ask yourself this. Is it unscriptural? Is the Lord using it? If it's not unscriptural and the Lord's using it, your tradition is probably not a spiritual one, but a human one, which there's nothing wrong with. But you can't be like these guys. Our traditions are so important, they wouldn't even hear the gospel. Your tradition is not so important that God can't move you to the next step and to the next thing and to give a little bit more and to stretch a little bit more for him. Don't be that person. And don't be the other person. Don't be the Athenian. Well, I'm a believer. That's true. Um... I'm intellectually satisfied in that and so on, but don't ask me to be a Jesus freak. Don't ask me to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm too cool for that. 
Remember, the, the, the Athenians, their whole punishment, their whole persecution wasn't physical. It was social. And let me just tell you, that's real too. That's real too. Don't be so afraid of the Athenians that you don't move forward in the Lord. And don't be like the Athenians who said, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. When God's calling you to do something, it's now. It's go. It's now. It's the Lord said this, so they went. Not so they thought about it, so they said, Lord, come back tomorrow. We got to be like the Bereans. Be like the Bereans. Be like the Bereans. We got we to take, we got to always be open to what the Lord is doing in our lives. Check it with Scripture. In a, in, a good, in a good church, you should have a multitude of counselors to make sure, yes, I feel like the Lord's leading me this way. Scripturally, it lines up. The counselors around me, those who are pouring into my life and discipling me are saying, yes, and I go. I don't let tradition get in my way. I don't let fear of social circumstances get in my way. I'm like a Berean. I'm noble-minded. I listen. I study. I act. That's who we need to be. That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Camas, Washington, here on Contemplate. Some great insights on living for Jesus today. I love how the Bible is so much more than just stories written a long time ago. Its truth is for you and me today. Now, if you'd like more information about Axe Church, we're easy to find online at axecamus.org. There you'll find our sermon videos and a lot more, including directions and service times, so you can visit us here at Axe Church this Sunday morning. You'll just love our worship and our family here that loves Jesus and each other. So come see us this Sunday. Again, get all the info you need at axcamus.org or call 360-885-9000. Well, that wraps things up for today. I'm Ron Hagel again. Thanks for being here. And we'll look for you next time for more with our teacher, Pastor David Robinson, here on Contemplate. <music>